Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. I am once again James McSorley and I am once again joined by Mark Schofield. Mark, am I pronouncing that right? You are. You thought really hard about it there. Yeah, I just, I heard that during the week in a podcast. It was like, am I saying your name right? And I thought it'd be really funny to do that with a guest. And then I thought it would be even funnier to do it with you. But (laughs) it wasn't as funny as it was in my head. We have actually had that before, like where we've had someone on the podcast and we've been like, this is obviously how you say their name, but I'm so in my head that I'm like, is this right? That definitely does happen. I think... um... The only one we like really punted on was when we had Mariska on. We like we need to bell up somebody Dutch beforehand and make sure we're doing this right. Oh, Mandel. did we ever tell her that? I don't think so. But Mendel sent us a voice note and in bless him, he repeated himself in the voice. <laughs> he like read it once and then again, like he was at a spelling bee. But yeah, that is that is just to like ensure accuracy. We don't want to we we respect people's names and don't want to get them don't want to get them wrong because I think you like. You hear someone's name from a wheelchair basketball commentator and you're like, hey, that guy's probably wrong. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I have a question for you before we get started with today's episode. Okay, great. So when I inevitably give up my real job and I make the world's first wheelchair basketball video game, what player are you most excited to play as? Uh, I actually thought about this when I was younger. Like, would a wheelchair basketball video game be any good? And I think I ended up on like no. But <laughs> um, my favorite thing to do in any like any basketball game is just play with absolute sharpshooters and just like pull it from like forty feet constantly. So I don't know. I could make a list of about ten players I'd be excited to do that with. But yeah, this would be really cool if I could segue into the next game. But the first game we have to talk about is Mercia against Juventud. So, although Slim Pickens, speaking of glitches in the system, Pablo Zazuela was eight from eight from this game. So maybe he would be the answer. If you could get him in a video game, he would shoot a hundred percent. Yes. All right. Should we talk about that game? Let's do it. All right. So this one was Juventud 29, Mercia 65. Ah oh, man, not a great, not, not not that much fun to start off with. But as you say, uh, Pablo Zarrada going eight from eight was pretty cool, but not much resistance going on. Everyone else shot pretty well as well. Yeah, I think this was this is like maybe a bit of a bittersweet note on that observation, but it's like I don't think Pablo's been particularly good or consistent for them this year. Um, but then it's basically like, yeah, he goes eight from eight against Juventus. If someone was like, what's Pablo's role slash skill level at this point? You'd be like, hey, he probably makes layups against not good teams. And outside of that, anything goes, I think. Um, yeah, I, didn't... I think he's been all right all season. Like, he's still an international starter, like, um, level midpoint like player. But he, yeah, him shooting a three was weird. Um, yeah. But. That, yeah, that, like if you if you watch this game, it's just like eight layups, but not really. I think it says more for me. It says more about Juventud than Mercia, like the guy that does best when he gets to the rim shoots one hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think this is like I think Mercia week by week have gotten slightly more clinical offensively, um, and they're not relying on more like end of the shot clock. We're just gonna have to shoot this like they were early in the year. Um, this isn't the best game to measure their offense by. And you can look at the 29 points for Joventut and be like, well, at least their defense turned up. But I just don't think this game was much of a measuring state. I think that this was a really kind of show up. And and to their credit, they didn't play down to the level of their competition, but they certainly didn't stretch themselves in this game, I don't think. No, I would have thought a team that plays in transition as much as these guys would have done better than 65 in a game against the team at the bottom of the league. But I don't know. You look at the, you watch the game and you look at the shot chart and it's like they might have made three shots outside the paint all game, but it didn't matter. <laughs> like, no, that's entirely it. Um, 100% yeah. in the paint, more or less. 18 for Pablo, 16 for Lalo, 15 for Lee Fryer. Um, and then, yeah, seven and six for. Fucking Robles and Bielkabo, but yeah, man. Um, 
Gemintu got only Fabian Castilla into double scrape into double figures with ten and nobody else above eight. So this was only ever going to go one way, and I dare say, had Mercia come out guns blazing, they would have put a hundred on Gemintu with the discrepancy in style of play. Yeah, slowest team in league versus one of the two or three quickest teams yeah. in the league for sure. Yeah. But yeah, not right. a whole lot worth talking about here. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on. All right, next one. Um, Iconi Gran Canaria, 63. Amiab Albacete, 94. Thought we were going to see 100 here, but yeah. third quarter, they just dipped below the pace necessary. Um, yeah, just Gran Canaria didn't have enough to stick with Amiab running wild, and that was without Phil as well. Um yeah, this yeah, was uh, this game was Harry went nuts in the first quarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's bizarre because I actually think you could very easily point out, even without Phil, you could point out where Grand Canaria's deficiencies would bite them in this game, and it's Jorge Salazar generally does about as good of a job as anyone at defending bigger guys than himself. But you're asking him to defend both Lee and Alejandro Zazuela to some extent. And you would have thought that they at least had the personnel to like Harry coming in and taking Phil's place with the starters is an offensive downgrade in terms of like complete offensive skill set. And you would have thought Grand Canary had the speed to deal with Harry. Um, but I think this was kind of a so worried about the bigs that everyone else kind of chips in. And that's it's not as if they shut the bigs down in the first place. Like Lee had 31. So yeah, you're fight, yeah. fighting a losing battle when you're letting the biggest guy dominate you and everyone else work off of him to their own benefit. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah you're letting everyone else get involved in the party. But you say Grand Canary have the speed, like they have the top end stuff. Like Alexi Ram, um, Alexi Ramone can obviously move. Um, Salazar's not slow for a big guy, but like they don't have a lot of slow players. But I don't think like they're. I don't know if they yeah. have like the top end speed. Like they've got a lot of sort of middle of the pack guys in terms of chair skills, and they have they're like not small and they've got length and whatever. But I don't know, like I don't. Well, no one stops Lee Manning on their own, and then yeah. having Harry. Harry was just like he did like stats say six from eight, and I feel like that might have been six from eight in the first quarter. Yeah, <laughs> like just went completely nuts. I was like, he finished with it. He had a couple of nice finishes and. Seeing him finishing off all the layups for a start was really, really cool. And then yeah. kind of expanded, extended, extended, shot a three. And I was like, oh, okay. This is this now is like, talking. what do we do here? Peak Harry stuff. Um, but yeah. What would you have said pre-game, the margin between Amiab without Phil and full strength? Well, not full strength, Gran Canaria, because Richard Notch is missing, but Gran Canaria as presently constituted. What would you say the margin was if you had to give an over under points wise? Somewhere in the twenties, probably. Yeah, I thought because I think that it like the kind of line of adding points onto that when you blow someone out by twenty five plus, I'm kind of like, eh, what's the difference? Yeah, like no, that's because like by that time you rotate to your bench and then you rotate back to your starters and then you like it just gets so obscured that like you could beat a team by 60 if you're up by 40. I don't know. It's a weird one, but yeah, yeah no, 20 something. I think, I think that's fair. I think it was, there was never much hope for Gran Canaria when you look at the stats here and they kept um, Alexi Ramone and Jorge Salazar to a combined 24 shots in 73 minutes between the two of them. <laughs> so you probably your two most consistent sources of offense there and if they get 24 shots up between them, the rest of your guys are going to struggle. Um, Raul Falcon, actually, sorry, Raul Vega, not Falcon. He was eight from 12. He got left a lot and did make them. But yeah, you're asking, you're asking him to, from being left open at the point to keep scoring pace with, with Amiab who are on their way to a hundred. Yeah, no, he, he shot well. One thing, it's the thing that I've seen playing against Amiab and also, watching them all season where like you'll get into your half court offense five on five you'll have a pick and roll and you will have an advantage but you'll just be like all right what do i do now because <laughs> there's so much size and like 
So I say you come off a pick and you've got like, okay, so now we're two on one. Harry's on my back and Lee Manning is splitting the difference between the two of us. So like we have a pick and roll, we're five on four, but do we actually have an advantage? Yeah, there is it's, just, it's really hard to problem solve that sort of stuff. And that's one of the reasons they're so good on defense and little plug here. Like that's kind of some of the stuff that when we spoke to Lee uh, last season at one point, uh, uh, he kind of spoke season about before. season before. Jesus, we've been doing this for a long time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we spoke to him about what he tries to do on defense, and he kind of was was nice enough to open up to open up into some of the stuff he looks to do to teams and how he kind of tries to put people in certain places to slow them down. And it, yeah, it's mad to watch when they're firing all cylinders, and that is without Phil, who is like unbelievable defensively reads it really well and is massive and rapid. So yeah. yeah, they've got some, they've got some stuff. Some could say they're spoiled for choice. Exactly. Um, yeah, nothing else too exciting here. Hot, um, hot take to finish us off on this game. Are Amia better without Phil? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Uh, up next. I don't think you think that's true either. I don't. I just wanted to see what you said. All right. <laughs> someone's going to clip that, but without the bit where you're like, no, no, no. And someone's going to be like, ah, Burgos. All right. <laughs> cool. Uh, next one. Um, Leganes 52. Bilbao 79. So, yeah, you were around for this one. I was, yeah. So, we did not have Asier Garcia. Um, uh, which obviously is tough, uh, but managed to go get the job done against a team that I think we'd watched all year and felt like we're pretty competent. And yeah, that kind of came through playing against them. I was like, yeah, this is a well put together team. Like I felt like they were pretty well coached, but we had too much for them. I think um, scored a pretty efficiently kind of across the board. And yeah, I think this was like this was effectively Leganes want to win games by getting teams into the half court, and they came up against a team who, even without their main guy, is well suited enough slash used used to playing in the half court enough that they just they couldn't really match your guys' shot making, especially with Chema shooting well. Um, like the the Bilbao way of playing the half-court offense is to just kind of keep it churning and it generally drags you guys through. It always feels a little bit with Leganes, like even though they've got guys who are going to make shots, you don't necessarily know where the next one is coming from. They seem to always be hunting for the hot guy, whereas I think Bilbao just kind of do their thing and trust the results a little bit more. Uh, you know, think- like we're kind of against some of the better teams. We're at a risk of getting bogged down in the half-court stuff and I did wonder if Leganes were going to be able to slow us down to the point that we just make it like a rock fight. But we got out in transition enough or like semi-transition and we, I don't know, David came in and shot a pile of threes. What? Yeah, uh, nine threes, um, <laughs> which is mad. Um, it's Best mad thing. that it's mad that I'm like, oh, only single figures when last year. It'd be like, yeah, 17 threes a game. But- you, missed, you missed the stat where he only shot, <laughs> apparently only shot... It looked like he shot one two-pointer in the stats because it's like four from ten shooting and then four from nine threes, but it's actually eight from nineteen. I was like, yeah, he got shots on man. Twenty-six minutes, nineteen shots. He's not messing around. Legend. Um, yeah. If 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 you don't want him to shoot, don't put him in. That's that's <laughs> what he does. But yeah, we got everyone in and out, and just I think the thing against a team like that is to keep the pace up, and we managed to do that. Um. Yeah. yeah, what does it feel like playing that? This is the first time you play those guys, but does it feel like they're constantly trying to slow it down, or do they? Because they do get some like transition curl stuff, especially with when Gomez is in there. Um, does it feel like they're playing incredibly slowly, or do you? Is it just any other game when you're actually in the thick of it? It just feels quite methodical. Like it's not slow because they still have some athletes like. Especially their starters when they go Matias Mendez and Phil Pafoli, those yeah. guys can move and obviously Cano can move. Um but 
Yeah, so they actually, their starters have enough pace that that makes a difference, but then they take Hafali and Mendes out and they go uh, Christian Gomez and was it Pablo Kubo? Yeah. yeah. Um, so like that's a different look altogether, but no, it doesn't feel slow. Like they, in the same way that you play like worst team in the league and you're like, okay, so if we just, you know, you get back into a high line and you just kind of play 24 seconds of passing people off to each other. Um, but no, no, they're well enough put together that it doesn't feel plodding. It doesn't feel slow. It feels a bit deliberate, but yeah. Also, we we like we like to move. Like we like to get up and down. Obviously, so yeah. a lot of teams might feel like they play a little slower than us when we get out in transition. But yeah, I think yeah. we play slow enough in the half court that it's not unusual. Yeah, I think. Um... The last couple of weeks have been something of like an inflection point of the season for Leganes because they were like hanging around fourth in the league for a few weeks there. And then they've run into like Amiab this week and you, sorry, Amiab last week and yourselves this week. And it feels a little bit like this is the water finding its level. Like they weren't favorites against either of you guys. But I think there's a few games every season where like the top tier separate themselves from the challenges. And this has felt a bit like that. But on the flip yeah. side, it's this is like a way bigger than expected win for you guys, right? Because you obviously lost to Viadolid and had this game gone the other way, which it was never really in any danger of doing. But like this could have potentially been you guys dropping another spot in the standings or having to make ground up. I mean, yeah, like especially as we'll get on to like Viadolid losing the game. Uh, spoiler alert, it happened two days ago. But um, I don't know, we were in that dangerous spot of like, they were technically ahead of us in the standings because we've played a game less because the game got put off. But, you know, it wasn't the usual game against Las Rosas or Leganes where you're five spots ahead of them in the league and you just go there and get the job done. There was a bit more on it, especially us being a man down. But, yeah, no, good win. Kind of went to form in the end. And, yeah, good to get everyone out there and playing and also, yeah. crucially, like going to away games that aren't too far away. <laughs> right should we move on yes all right next one is Mediba 73 and Vigo 77 Vigo with their is this their second win of the season yeah I was so worried after we talked about them last week and how they'd ha- they'd managed one win up to that point and how it was basically like every game had been close I was like ah oh, man they would have been you know, a month ago, they'd have been chalking this up to be a, a safe win on the schedule. And I might have just 20 done the whole, how come they can't Yeah, 20 zero or otherwise. Um, I was like, I really hope I've not dropped that. How have they only won one game thing in a game that they very well may have struggled with? Because I think this is a weird stylistic matchup for them. So I was very relieved to see them get the win here. Um, and they, they earned it, man. Like it was... I think it was at 10 points a couple of times, but Madiba came all the way back in the fourth quarter particularly, and I was like, oh, man, let's not have this one <laughs> be thrown away. But, yeah, Vigo got done, man. 33 from Agustin Lejos, 22 from Yesan Betancourt against his old team. Big game from uh, him, man. Yeah, huge one, especially against a team with two semi-bigs. And sure. like, he was... You know, gigantic enough to not be bothered by John Hernandez or Salvador Sandoval, but they had 31 and 26 each. And this was, I thought it was an interesting Vigo wanting to play slower, Madiba wanting to play quicker. Um, I really thought Madiba were going to steal this one towards the end there, you know, and you can feel the avalanche coming. But yeah, man, Augustino Lejos is probably the safest pair of hands in terms of if you need a couple of shots making in the last five minutes. It's maybe like Terry and then him in the Spanish league. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a couple of guys. Let's throw Flipsky in there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, this was a weird one where I was watching it and I was kind of, there was, there's points where Madiba, like second quarter, they had seven points. You know, they made a sub in there somewhere, but like there's points where, and I'm looking at their offense and I'm like, you can't possibly tell me that this is the best stuff that you can get. You know what I mean? Like you have the talent out there to be running something that isn't just John and Joy Marin pick and rolls. Cause it's kind of like, all right, you run an action and is it to like 
draw help, get the other team into rotation so that you can get something else? Or is it like you run this pick and roll so that you can score exclusively out of this pick and roll? Because you kind of have a lot of times where it's John and John might run a pick and roll that teams are kind of semi-happy to not send too much help to. And then you've got Jose Leap and, and Sandoval kind of sitting still on the perimeter trying to like you know you're you're saying all right we'll put a big behind a one on the weak side so they might be able to follow a curl but it's like all right if they don't send help from the weak side what are we like yeah what are you waiting for and it's funny i literally had that thought and then 30 seconds later they started running um leap and hernandez pick and rolls and i was like ah, ah, ah this is great <laughs> i'm gonna sound like i know what i'm thinking at this point but um just because i was like can you not generate better looks than like like you know sometimes i feel like john and joymar run pick and rolls for john to come off a pick and then shoot a contested post up anyway yeah um and then if that doesn't work it's like all right like you take a turn um so i don't know i just like i looked at that and i was like they're kind of getting bogged down and there are maybe more appropriate ways to force the defense to doing something they don't want to do because there is a lot of like two guys run a pick and roll to play two on two do yeah. not really involve anyone else. And I don't know if it's by design, but the fact that they changed it and it worked made me think that it might have been by design. But yeah, I think the Vigo size advantage, having two big four and a halves out there, actually the knock-on effect of that was taking Joymar's easy dump downs away because he only had four points in the game. Yeah. Um, where I think he's been like at least at double figures, if not slightly above for the last handful of games. I think the we mentioned it a couple of weeks back, but like the extra attention and the reordering of the pecking order of bringing Leap in has probably benefited Joymar more than anybody because he's not playing for two guys who are mostly self-creators at this point. Yeah. Um, but they kind of took his layups away. And the other stat I thought was interesting from this was the team's first up, Vigo, were 13 of 17 free throws and Madiba were 10 of 15. So that's 76 and 66%, which as far as wheelchair games go, is pretty high volume and relatively high percentage. Yeah, man. Uh, like, I think the stats last year ended up that whoever shot the best free throw percentage in the league as a team last year was like 68% or something. Like, it's not... We, yeah, we so... not shoot 80s. Like, I mean, so both of these are like relative outliers and they happened in the same game. So had there been less volume or less percentage on one side, this very, very easily could have flipped. Um, and it's weird that a relatively pivotal result for Vigo would come down to something like that. But that's why you play the games, right? Otherwise, we would just add everybody's average stats together and see who the winners were. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I've done this thing a handful of times with Vigo games where, like, we'll watch a game that they'll lose and I'll talk about them. And then they've won a game and I've talked about what Madiba need to do differently. <laughs> um, I say need to do. Well, I know. We, we know what the we know what the Vigo formula is there, right? It's put Aleha somewhere where they find where they are forced to send help and pick out the guys who are left open and get those guys in their most beneficial spots. Like I thought Jason Bettencourt got inside very convincingly up. In this game, whereas like when they played Gran Canaria recently, who are a smaller team, he was kind of content or content to sit outside the key or not able to break the defense down. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought the knock-on effect of him getting inside was that Villas and Bastian Kolb got better shots. And when this might be the first time Vigo have got four guys into double figures, and I was literally waiting to be yeah. like, "Okay, when you finish your sentence, my next question was going to be, how many times do you think Vigo have had four double figure scores yeah. in the last three well, seasons?" It's not just double figures, man. It's that Alejos had thirty three and Betancourt had twenty two, so that's fifty five on twenty one of thirty nine shooting. You'll take that from your top two guys if you're also getting ten plus from two others. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, shout out to Vigo, man. I'm glad they pulled this one out. Is our take that the formula is having four people shooting the ball very well? <laughs> our, take, our take is that if you get more people scoring more points than the other team, you're in good shape. Yeah, you might be. All right. Talking about people scoring more than others. <laughs> <laughs> Malaga 60 uh, by the lead 52. Yeah. So Malaga getting a win. Do you remember when we were doing the whole, hey, if they keep losing games, at what point are they just going to play Kyle because he's there? And even if it's under points, 
he'll probably help them if he's playing rather than sitting on the bench. Turns out we were right about that one. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know how many people needed us to to say that, but especially having someone like Kyle down the stretch, that was the thing. Like, we came out of our game and we saw that this was a whatever point game it was uh, with four or five minutes to go. It was like a handful of points. And I was like, yeah, at this point, if you're able to get the ball in the hands of a scorer and slow it down, you're probably good. And Kyle hit a couple of big ones that like he can, he's maybe the only two that's kind of big enough to do this where he'll like dribble off a pick towards the baseline, kind of get not stuck, but he'll get stopped and then he'll just post it up. And I think he had two of those in the last three minutes. And it's like, oh man, this is like fairly, like you're fairly happy to defend something like that, like force a shooter down to the baseline, have the second guy go out, triple out of there. And then you're like, okay, we're back to five on five. But he hit two of those, which are just absolute killers. Yeah. And what one of them was from behind the backboard as well. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um yeah, I think I was a little bit perplexed here by Vidalid going with CJ instead of Yelma to start. I thought they could have used Yelma's height advantage against this not huge Malaga team. Um it turned out CJ finished with six, Yelma finished with six. Neither of the guys were hugely effective. But yeah, I thought they could have used the inside outside balance a bit more because Perez is your main inside guy against the Malaga team with a bunch of mobile mids probably isn't going to produce a whole lot. Um it kind of turned out that the net effect of that was that Vidal didn't get a whole lot of anything from anyone other than Romo, who was nine from twenty-three and had twenty points. And yeah, it just felt like there was never a Vidalid run in this game, really. I think they got out to a decent start and Malaga chipped and chipped and chipped. And Malaga won the last quarter by 11 to win the game by eight. And yeah, it never felt like... There's about three or four points in the game where I thought as Malaga would bring themselves back into it, it was like if Vidalid can get string two stops and two scores together and right the ship a bit, they'll probably hang on. But... Yeah, they were really inconsistent offensively and they have typically scored way more than 52 points on pretty balanced scoring. And this just, I don't know if it was just a bad shooting game for them. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out when I watched it because it was, I'd seen the result of this before I stuck it on. I only watched this yesterday and I was like, oh God, 52? Like, and I know Malaga... The one, one of the compliments I've given that team and Addy coaching them uh, for a couple of years is that they always have a good defensive game plan. But I was like, did they just shoot poorly? Like, I, I don't. Yeah, I think I didn't this know. was this was um, kind of a thing with Malaga. Is I think we've talked about in previous games where they've lost games we would maybe expect them to win. I think they're pretty good with their initial defensive game plan, and they haven't been very good at adjusting from there. Um, you know, if it turns out game plan number one on the whiteboard gets the job done, then great. If it doesn't, they don't typically have way more tools. Yeah, this was kind of the game plan they set out with worked for them for at least 15 minutes in the second half. And that turned out to be enough to let their offense bring them back into the game, which is also not something you would have typically relied on for them up to this point. But yeah, they got a win, man. Kyle with 22 and Jaime Esparza with 23. Not the most efficient shooting game in the world, but you can survive that when your team you're playing against is struggling. Yeah, um, yeah going to 60, you'll do all right there. Like, I was looking at that, and it felt like they kind of... You, you're saying Malaga aren't that big a team, but, like, Jaime Esparza is way bigger than I remember he is whenever I'm playing against, obviously, Chris Cosarina is massive and yeah i don't know Shout like, out to Cameroon, by the way Tw- 21 minutes zero from three shooting but plus 15 in the plus minus that's good d that's what that is um but yeah i don't know it's it's weird watching why the lead just kind of dry up for so long but yeah shout out to malaga for getting it done however they did um, yeah is it also like if this... you you win a game like that not shooting that efficiently um, 10 from 22 and 9 from 25 you've got Abdi 
Uh, you shoot 38% and win a game is basically what I'm trying to say because yeah. the other team's 36%. It's like, I think it's it's just what I said. Like you get down to the end of a game like that and you have an absolute rock fight and you're able to slow it down and get good looks in a half court with it, yeah. with like an all-time score. You're, you're probably pretty good. Yeah, I think you're doing fine. Is this any cause for concern if you're vital it? Um... Or do you chalk this one up and say, hey, we've beaten and run close better teams than this? Maybe this is just a bad game. I think it's really easy to be like, ah, shooting badly, whatever. Like, but I think you need to make sure that's what it is. Like, if you're happy with where your shots came from and how open they were or not, like, that's the difference. Like, I think about shot quality all the time. Like, I think when you're thinking about how a game went or coaching a game or whatever, you have to be content with like, oh, that was a good look or that was not a good look being your criteria because like they shot 61% last week. Like I just looked it up there and shot about 85% when they played you guys as well. It felt well, like, yeah, there you go. That makes a difference. And it's like, are you getting different shots? Yeah. Um, are you settling for different shots or did you just miss ones that you're kind of happy enough to go for every week? Yeah, I thought I thought the main difference on that front was I thought Romo was kind of hit one, miss one, hit one, miss one enough that they weren't panicking about jumping him, um, which I think has been most of the games this year and all the matches they've played. I think teams have basically come in with a non-negotiable of, hey, we just jump Fabian Romo. Like It's kind of, that is what it is at this point. Whereas I think they were able to not let him create too much for everybody else this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So interesting to see. I don't know who either of these teams play next week yet, but it will be interesting to see if if it's actually an upward or downward trend, um, respectively, for each of these teams or whether it was just one game of getting into a bit of a rock fight. Um, yeah. I love describing low scoring games as rock fights. I think it's such a funny, like such a funny analogy, but. Yeah, anyway, talking about games that weren't low scoring, um, <laughs> Lunion brought out the third digit on the scoreboard. Congrats. Um, Lunion by themselves only scored 12 points less than Malaga and Vitaly scored combined. Yes, uh, when you put it like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so 100 to 31 against Furall. And yeah, I'd, not a whole lot to say about this. Um Everyone on Illunion kind of just got wherever they wanted all the time. Yeah, this was 22 from Greg, 22 from Bill Latham on 21 of 30 combined. They got then got 10 to 13 points additionally from four other guys. Um, eight from Amadou, four from Tom and Neilthorne as well. So yeah, the hundred isn't that far out of sight when you get six guys in double figures. Um and yeah, they just that gets you to at least 60. It does. <laughs> logic, logic would dictate. Yes. Um, meanwhile, Medium all, level analysis. <laughs> meanwhile, Farrell had one quarter where they scored double figures, so I don't think we need to analyse this one too much. Um, I think we're seeing Alunia. I get this uh, a weaker team they were going against, but I think we're kind of seeing them mastering again their old formula of hey can we get this game either blown open or finished off in a quarter or you know a quarter and change and they did that early doors but that's by no means the first time we've seen them do it this year they did it against Leganes earlier in the season where it was like 34 5 in a quarter or something like that yeah Um, they normally do that in third quarters against games like this but I mean against teams like this but yeah be like all right this is over yeah, they just they're taking care of business, man. You can only beat who you who you play. But yeah, nothing nothing to see here really, other than Illunio getting another win in the bank. Also, crucially, when teams do this, it's nice for us to be like, great, let's save some time. Also, <laughs> talking about um, uh, talking about uh, Illunion, did you see that Victor Ramos sent us a message after we yes. mentioned the T-shirt thing last week? <laughs> Hey, Victor, if you're listening to this, uh, good win. Um, thanks for scoring 100, so we didn't need to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, 
It, that, but that sounds like really stupid and cryptic. He just like laughed at the fact that we talked about his t-shirts. But yeah, uh, cool. you, should, you should wear a different t-shirt if you score a hundred in a game. Also, if you want to send us a free t-shirt, we'll wear them on the podcast, and no one will be able to see, but we'll know. Just the blank ones, not the Alonian ones. I would never do that. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, all right, right. Shall we talk about some German games? Let's do it. Crucially. We would like to say that at this point we are not going to be talking about uh, Thuring Gables and Landil because, well, hopefully, are we promising too much? We are in the process of getting uh, sorted to record with a guest who was playing in this game, so I think they'd be better placed to talk about it than we would. You've let you've left it open well there, because it means if the person we've tapped up doesn't come through, it means we've probably got a couple of other people we can dig up. Yes. So the person we got in touch was like, "Yeah, yeah, no worries." Um, and we were like, "What about this time?" And we're we're, we're just waiting. So, uh, yeah, let, we'll hopefully get that sorted. So and if you've listened this far to listen to our our chat about this, I apol- I can only apologize. But also check back on Thursday because it will be there either with a guest or with us just coming on and apologizing and talking about it ourselves. And you'd much rather hear these people talk about it than us, because I'm not actually sure that we know what we're talking about at any given point. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Cool. Should we do our first German game of the weekend, which was BBC Munsterland 58 and Hanover United 77. This was actually a pretty close game for like two and a half quarters. Yeah. Um, this is one of the funny ones, like, you know, when you go on a team's Instagram and the game's already finished and they put up the quarter scores. So it's like, ah, first quarter, Munsterland 21, Han- uh, Hanover 15. And then as you click throughout <laughs> the Instagram stories, like, ah, this is getting, this is getting uglier and uglier. But yeah, that was definitely, it. I thought um, it's kind of an interesting thing in matchup terms. Cause Hanover went to their mids lineup for an early point. I think the, Actual starters who are listed here aren't quite right because I think Mariska started uh, where it says Tom McHugh started, but yeah, went, it was Mariska. They went to their mids lineup early doors, and Munstein were basically like, "Hey, all we need you to do is jump Zoran Muller, and we'll have like three guys curling for Matthias Bellas, who's taller than anyone in their mids lineup." Yeah, and that worked for like a quarter, and then Tom McHugh was like, "Hey, hang on." I'm massive too. Do you want to sub me in here? Yeah. Um, do you need someone to hit massive elbow post ups yeah. like their layups? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. He shoots them. He loves like a chair length behind or to the side of the elbow. And he makes them consistently and they all look clean, but they all look like they're a massive effort for him. And it's like, I don't know what the cross, like his load up on his shot. I don't know if it's just because it's like a bit slow or mechanical or whatever, but he makes them consistently enough. That like, I don't care what it looks like. Even if it looks like he's trying so hard to accomplish this, he is accomplishing it. And therefore I cannot criticize. Yeah, yeah. they're all just they all just look like they should be tough shots. Like yeah. we've talked about this before, where if you're defending that on a mismatch, you're like, hey, what else? What like what do you want me to do? Like yeah. if you want this guy to stop shooting this shot, you're gonna have to like bring a double team because like it's behind his head and it's a foot behind the flipping um or it's a chair length behind the elbow. Like, what are you gonna do? But yeah, yeah I think that Hanover United lineup that they started with is a fun one because it's not even like three big or four big or whatever. It's like the no smalls lineup, which yeah. I thought would have been effective if Munsterland got reduced to shooting mismatches. Because if you're talking about Jan Haller being your smallest guy, that yeah. guy is massive in terms of like being able to extend his arms onto post-ups. But yeah, they I kind think of just left the paint wide open. And I know you kind of have to jump Thorn Miller, the greatest player of all time um, <laughs> at some point. Um, so, and if you're listening, if you happen to still be listening to us and the parody has gone to the point that you don't like it, uh, please get in touch and we will apologize and stop doing it. But we, we well, James will, James will stop great. doing it. I will carry on. Yeah. Um, we just think you're great. Um, but yeah, um, I was talking to someone about this and I was saying it's really sad because I have to come on here and my analysis is going to be like Hanover United were having a hard time. And then they remembered that if you play a team that plays three bigs and two ones, you need to make it matter more that two ones are on the floor than it, it than it matters that three bigs are on the floor, which sounds really stupid, but like I don't we don't have the stats 
available to like track this, but I'd love to know how many shots their lows took in the second half instead of the first half, because I feel like it was like, that's where you kind of tip the scales. Obviously, if you've got three bigs, two ones, the whole thing, and you've got a high ceiling, but a really low floor. And do you make the ceiling or the floor matter more when you're defending those teams is kind of how I look at it. Like every shot that you can put into the hands of a one you're taking away from one of their bigs. And obviously, I don't know that kind of lent like that. I feel like they just figured out either, either figured out or just switched on more to being like, all right, we actually stop bigs chairs. We can test them and we double if we have to and send the ball inside with a bit of pressure rather than trying to stop everything and just ending up having seals and curls yeah. and picks and all sorts. Like once again, I don't know if you can, I don't know. The, the stats would be something we could work out, but it's not something that I can look up. But. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting point when you say about you know you would you would expect Hanover to try and reduce Munsterland to just shooting mismatches early doors, but I actually think Munsterland are very very good generally at not settling. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think loads of teams that have two ones on the floor at any given point kind of accept that, like you say, the floor is what it is, and at some point your big guy just has to settle for it, a suboptimal shot in some circumstances. I think Munsterland are really, really good at getting their lows to do the simple stuff right to the point where they don't often just have to settle for a this-will-do shot. And I think we kind of saw that in the first half, and then that was where size came into play for Hanover as kind of a plan B, but... Yeah, man. I mean, we've talked about Tom McHugh or mentioned him in past weeks, but I think while it's not against the staunchest opponent in the world, a game like this is really indicative of what being in Germany's done for him. Like, if you remember when they played Trier really early in the season, and I think asking him to try and beat a smaller team on mismatch shots was like maybe a bit much in the early portion of the season, but. He came into the game and was like, hey, don't worry, there's two guys I can shoot over at any given point, and I will do just that. And yeah, he's come a hell of a way in half a season, man. And obviously, Sean Norris was high on him when we spoke to him, and it's not difficult to see why. Exactly. He's a beast, man. Yeah. Um, just going through the rest of the stats, uh, Alexander Buddha with 18 as well, on very efficient scoring, did well from the line. Uh, throw, um, throw Alex Buder into the um, category I gave Jorge Salazar as well. A great smaller big at defending bigger bigs. Yes. Yeah. I think like just being really big and strong is the, yeah, that, the thing there. Like, I don't mean tall, happens. but I mean like, can you like just get into people rather than get over yeah. the top of them? It happened a couple of times when they played throwing last week where he like had Vahid or Haluski stopped. And like both hands on his wheels, and they went to like try and nudge his chair for separation. He's like, "No, you're not going anywhere. I may may as well have put like a cinder block on your footplate." Yeah, just um, be like, "No, no, no, that's not how this is working. Yeah. Stop that." Yeah. Um, um, ultimately, I thought this one was decent showing from Munsterland, convincing win for Hanover against a team that continues to prove to be capable of pushing good teams. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, our Munsterland German Leganes. Um, no. Uh, the similarity. Yeah, yeah close enough. <laughs> flo- floating around fourth place, pushing good teams slash beating teams, maybe with more talent than them, playing a slightly funky style nobody else does. Be a good game to watch those two play each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Up next, stats are frozen for this game, and according to the stats, it only ended 16-11 in favour of ING Skywheelers, but this one was actually Skywheelers 61, Tria Dolphins 37. The news here being that Tria played without Dirk Passavan. Who would have been good for about another 37 points. (laughs) Probably. No, like, actually. Yeah. Um, no, it's, fun. it's just funny. You sounded like you picked that number out of thin air rather than it being the actual Tria points total. But yeah, this one went about how you might expect, um, which is kind of a shame because I would have thought if you told me Passavan had to miss a game, I would have 
thought maybe Trio had enough to hang with Skywheelers, but that turned out to not be the case. And they're guys who kind of play off Passivan and finish well when he creates proved to not be massively qualified in the area of creating shots for themselves and each other. No. And yeah, I thought, I thought Skywheelers just had the best offensive showrunner in the game in Nico Drama. Not in the game of basketball, in the game of basketball between these two teams. Um, ever. I know we've already <laughs> talked about our guy. <laughs> but yeah, this was... It's like any time a game like this happens where I'm like, okay, this is probably going to be roughly a decent game if everyone plays and you take a guy that scores 30 a game out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, want to watch. I want to watch him play. I want to watch that happen. So, Yeah, real it? shame here that it didn't take place with full teams. I don't think you can really look at either team and be like, a uh, great win or a uh, hugely troubling loss. This is just... It's an anomaly when the center of the solar system of your offense isn't there. For, it's like living an actual day with the sun just not coming up. It's like, well, what do we do now? Yeah. Yeah, no, like, I don't, yeah. You don't need to panic about Dirk Pass 1 not being there as long as he's going to come back after Christmas. Um, so, yeah. He more or less runs the club from what I understand to be the case at Trier. So I think if he doesn't turn up, they have bigger problems. Yeah, need to keep the lights on. Fair enough. All right, shall we move on? Can you imagine, just to that point, can you imagine if there was just like a random news thing that broke and it was like, oh, the um, Thuring and Bulls have signed Dirk Passavan over the, like he'll be joining them for the second half of the season. That would be like the biggest shock of all time. There's like on the list of guys who won't ever leave their clubs, I think Passavan might be top. Yeah. Sort of people that they move, they'd like pack the club up with them and move it to city. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a handful of those. Like the amount of the amount of people who you like get to the top of the world of wheelchair basketball, and you're like, oh yeah, like individual people just run these clubs out of the goodness of their own heart. The goodness <laughs> of their own heart, or in Passvan's case, the his heart's desire to put up many many points. Yes. Um, right. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, Next one we're not going to talk about yet. Stay tuned. Last game of the week in Germany was Rhine River Rhino 78, Essen uh, uh, Hot Rolling Bears uh, 36. Yeah, so about as could be expected here. Um, Moji Kamali with 26, and he might be top. Pick a number of guys who go nuts against underprepared teams. So you no, know, massive... we need a guy to fly around the place and make shots. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the the game that I always think of with him is the game last year that was like Hamburg 100, Skywheelers 94 or something. Skywheelers. I was talking to someone about this game and I could not remember who they played. That was the best game of the year. <laughs> it was this, b- between two of the German teams who were like bottom two in the standings. Um, yeah, this was just, I mean... Wiesbaden, 26 from Kamali, 22 from High 7, 14 from Aaron Young, um, and then kind of sixes and fours from a couple of other guys. But you don't need a whole lot to get past Hot Rolling Bears. And yeah, this was, I think Hot Rolling Bears, it would be entirely fair to say, the weakest team in Germany this year. And they're up against a team that very much can't afford to waste these opportunities in terms of figuring their chemistry out, I think. From talking to Aaron Young a couple of weeks back and from like the inconsistencies in their results and stuff, Wiesbaden is still less than the sum of the parts. And I don't think this game massively changes that, but getting a convincing win rather than playing to the level of your opposition is a step in the right direction, at least. It's all you can really ask for. Yeah, I think it's really, really challenging to try and use a game like this to actually work on some stuff because like there are certain things you can't work on without having a certain amount of resistance in front of you in the defense. Like, I don't know, people talk about, no, you need to come in here and it's a good chance to work on our stuff and whatever, but like, you can only do that if you're like, okay, step one in this play is we put the ball over here. Step two is the defense does what is conventionally expected to be the right thing and then we work off that. But if you don't get that first thing, like, how can you run your stuff so you kind of just have to go in and 
run the ball down people's throat for 40 minutes. Um, yeah. Also me saying that just reminded me, do you remember the time we played uh, Oldham in, I don't know if it was a friendly or in the league game, but they called a timeout to like run a play at the end of a quarter of a game that was just done at that point. And we just sat under the basket and be like, all right, run your stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I do remember. Just all five of us sat in the charge circle to be like, hey, enjoy. Like brilliant. But, yeah. That was um, such like that was that was such a was, no, that was such a terrible thing to do. But <laughs> so funny. Like just so like someone calls a timeout at the end of a game that's over to work on something, and you're like, okay, will we yeah. sit in the sideline? Or <laughs> that was terrible, but very Petty, funny. Pettiness knows no bounds. Um so key Not question bad. for this week of games that we just talked about. Are we allowed to award the belt for a game that we haven't talked about, or do we need to award the belt to a less consequential game that we just covered? Uh, no, I think I, th- I think I only have one candidate for the belt, and it is in line with we've kind of gotten into the thing of the belt being like top scorer of the week, and most of the time well, that's what we do, but I don't think it should be, and I think if someone goes offensive board assist steal in the last two plays of a four-point game yeah to like seal the top of the league but in the first half of the season i feel like that's who gets the belt it is would you Um, like to do the honors yannick blair congratulations um yeah once again yeah i feel like that that is that is that is impact and once again, there are no criteria for this. So I just, we like giving the belt to our friends. <laughs> no, like, as I say, like, if you go offensive board assist Stiegel in two plays to yeah. go up, like, from a tied game to like up to Steel free throw line game over, like, yeah. what, a guy. What, what are we, what are we doing here if it's not that? Yeah, no, the, I would much rather it go that direction than be like, hey, Moji, well done on having 26 against Hot Rolling Bears. Because that might be the second time we got abuse for this. So, <laughs> but yeah, I don't actually, we haven't talked about that game yet, but I don't actually know who top scored that game, which is a weird one. I was talking to someone about this mid fourth quarter. I was like, I have no idea who's top scoring this game. <laughs> what game were we talking? Sorry, Landil. Uh, Landil Durgan, like uh, Rio. Had 19, I think. That's top. Rio just scores quietly. And I, I don't know why that is to me. I'm just like I, I don't I don't I don't know what that what it is about him, but I'm just like just seems to like yeah. go under the radar slightly, even though he's unbelievable. Met- metronomic, isn't it? There's never a massive Rio scoring run. But yeah, that's a good point. It's like okay. Never a quarter where he has like if he plays 10 minutes, he will have six points across those 10 minutes. Yeah. Like, every four offenses will get him on the ball on the elbow <laughs> and it will go in. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Man, that right, must right. be such Let's a luxury. The good stuff. All right, cool. Um, yeah, that'll do us. This was a short one, um, which might be cheating, but yeah, also we, we talked about all the games. Yeah, we did. All right. So thank you very much for listening. And yeah, tune in on Thursday when we will be interviewing uh, someone about the game. (laughs) Right. Cheers for listening, guys. And yeah, we'll catch you soon. Bye. Bye.